Jesus before Pilate. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, he would not be handed over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the word Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release one prisoner at this time of year. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Jesus sentenced to be crucified. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realise I have power either to free you or crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if we're not given to you from above. Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat him down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away and crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Lewis. Well, let's stick in this passage uh, in John's Gospel. And as we've been doing the past uh, six weeks or so, I don't know how long it is now, we're looking at uh, different people 
who met Jesus. And today we are seeing Pilate uh, meeting Jesus, one of these famous stories um, of uh, people who met Jesus. Most uh, days in life we have decisions that seem insignificant. But uh, for me anyway, often when I reflect on what I've done in a day and the decisions I've made, I can't help but think that maybe I've taken the easiest path that I can to navigate through the day. Not necessarily the right path, but the easiest path. Because let's face it, none of us wants to deal with the hard things. None of us wants to do the difficult things, the things that might cost us, the things that we think, I don't really have to do this. And if I do, it's going to make things uh, more difficult. Perhaps a, a, a silly example, but yesterday I'd ordered cups for communion. Uh, I went out and Amazon tried to deliver them and I wasn't in. So they were taken away to some sorting office and I can't get them till Monday. And at that point I thought maybe we'll just, you know, it's my day off. Maybe we'll just stop, not have communion tomorrow and we'll go. That was an easy thing to do, to be honest. But I knew and so ended up going around various different shops and we got them in the end. It wasn't the easiest way. It's a very basic example. It was still easy. Don't misunderstand me. But, you know, I could have easily just laid back, kept watching Wimbledon and gone on uh, with my day. Uh, so the consequences are probably usually pretty harmless. But we take something like our careers. If we take the easy way, it might make uh, our work day easier if we if we don't do that extra bit of work if we ignore that little thing if we get someone else to do that it makes the day easier but in the long run it's possible that a career may uh, suffer more greatly and the result could be a harder life and so sometimes the the easy road is an illusion and sometimes it can only be seen in hindsight it can only be worked out in the future when it's too late, I shouldn't have done that. I should have worked harder. I look back in school and think, maybe I should have worked a little bit harder. Um, that's, that's me, though. Um, the, the, the stakes are relatively high in these cases, uh, with career or school or whatever else, but not as high as they are for Pilate, because Pilate has a decision to make. As he meets Jesus, he's being introduced to someone who claims to be the king. Who communicates to him that the pilot has actually met the king of kings, the one who is king over everything, the one who is truth, as, as, as was read to us. The stakes have never been higher. Pilate has a decision to make. He stands as one with power to believe Jesus, to set him free, or as one who can fall into the way of the world and do exactly what the Jewish authorities want him to do and crucify Jesus. Pilate has a choice. Is it Jesus or is it the world's power? Is it Jesus or is it Caesar? Is it Jesus or his own position as governor? And Caesar, the Roman government, the Jewish authorities, that seems like the easy road, doesn't it? Even as we read it, the crowds are against and Rome was the greatest empire the world had ever seen. There was peace over the whole Mediterranean. All people around were under the rule of Rome. The easiest thing humanly speaking, was just to say, no, Jesus, you're going to your death, as we know ends up happening. He makes the wrong decision. It seemed like the easiest. It seemed like the sensible decision even, but it was the wrong one. And the same decision is what is presented to every single person today. 
Who do we see Jesus as? Is he the king or is he just a man? Is he one worth following or is he one worth rejecting? As we see Pilate interacting with Jesus and as we see the road that he takes and the road that is offered, hopefully we can answer these questions. So there's three things. First of all, there's Pilate and the truth. Second of all, there's Pilate and power. And third of all, there's Pilate and the crowds. The first thing is Pilate and the truth. And when Jesus is brought before Pilate after his arrest, his questioning is direct. Are you the king of the Jews? But it ends with that cynical question. What is truth? Truth is that the first thing that Pilate should be about. He's there to work out if someone is guilty or innocent. The truth has never been more important. And yet at the end, all he's saying is, what is truth? It doesn't really matter to him at the end of the day. All he wants to do is work out if he has this work to do. And in that way, perhaps he's very modern. Because it feels in a way like truth is both both the most valued thing in society and also the least valued thing in society and something that people are very confused about. You have people wanting truth from governments. Uh, and we want truth when it comes to the law and to the courts. We want that truth. And yet at the same time, we have people saying things like, speak your truth, your truth, not the truth, your truth. Or live out your truth, live the way that you want to live and just how, uh, how you feel. That's what's true for you and you can enjoy it. That's the message that the world wants to give to us. Yes, truth is important, but it's also very subjective. It's also something we can just essentially uh, make up. I heard someone saying recently that their morals were just based on uh, them deciding what made them a good person. And, And it's nonsensical, really, isn't it? Because we need truth. We can't just live out our own version of the truth. We need something that is true. And Pilate fails to see this. He just says, what is truth? Although he starts by looking for the truth, at the end, it's just what is truth? He wants to find out, do the accusations hold up? And what he's really trying to do, is this a political matter? Do I really need to be concerned about this? Does Rome need to be concerned about this? Do I need to quickly deal with this and effectively? But what Jesus does is he communicates the truth to him. There's no evading, there's no lying from Jesus. He shows that on one hand, the Jews have him all wrong as a king, that he's not a political opponent, that he's not trying to to stand against Rome. That wasn't his purpose. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom, in other words, it's not how we would think of a kingdom or a state or a nation. It doesn't have these defined borders that we see on a map. It doesn't have... Uh, a, a, a sort of a fighting army here. His kingdom is one that has its origin, its throne, its seat of power in heaven. It's one that comes down from heaven. It's one that is not the way of this world. And he proves this. He says how his people would be fighting if his kingdom was of this world. His servants would pick up the sword and they would fight off the Jews if that's what Jesus was here for. And you may remember if you've read it before, but When Jesus was arrested, one of his disciples, Peter, cut off the ear of one of the chief priest's servants. And Jesus told him, stop, because his kingdom's not of this world. It's not what he's about. Jesus' kingdom is something completely different. It's not less 
than the kingdoms of this world, than the countries, whatever else we would call it today. It's something that is far greater, that is far more wide-reaching. And we would do well to remember that, especially those of us who are, who are Christians, who, who want to live by the truth. God's kingdom, the kingdom that we belong to first and foremost, is not of this world. That we have something that transcends all the concerns that we have to do with politics or whatever else. We have something more. We, we don't strive for that political power, but for the good of the world in God's eyes. It doesn't mean ignoring these things either. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we just completely remove ourselves, but we come with this attitude that our kingdom isn't of this world. And no matter what happens, no matter how oppressed we may be or may not be, no matter how far the laws go against us, our kingdom is not of this world. We have something greater. We have a king who is greater than any law, than any ruler of this world. And we belong to that and we represent that. It doesn't mean inaction. When Jesus uh, returns, he tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are servants of the king who represent him in this world. That's what we're here for. And so we do everything to his glory. We do everything well. We do everything in a Christ-like way, in a way, uh, in in the context of this passage, that is truthful. We do it in all these ways. It's not a kingdom of this world. We're not here to be the most powerful group in the world's eyes. We're here to share Jesus with those around us. That is our our, our primary purpose. We're here to care about the things that Jesus cares about. The people of this world, this world that he cares about. That's what we're here for. Not um, to to be uh, powerful in the world's eyes. And so going back to the story, Pilate questions, so you are a king. And Jesus admits that he is, but he explains what it actually means. He's the king who was born to bear witness to the truth. And he says that everyone who is of the truth listens to his voice. Truth matters. His kingdom is a kingdom of truth. And I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me, given the spin that we see in modern politics and in all eras politics really. There's always spin. There's always an angle. Uh, No matter what your viewpoint is, this is not making a point. It's just the way the world is. There's always something. But Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of truth. There is no spin. There is no evading. There is no covering things up. There's no good days to bury bad news and all these things that we hear about. There is truth. There is Jesus himself. When Jesus the King is around, then the truth is here. And the King acts as a King when the truth is shown. He is the one who testifies to the truth and everyone on the side of truth listens to him. Jesus lived out the truth. Jesus preached the truth. He spoke it uh, in everything that he did. And that was the way he brought people into his kingdom you know the truth isn't something that's just written on the page it's so much more than that the truth is is jesus himself it is something that actually affects us and makes a difference believing who jesus is and what he says about himself believing every word of the bible christianity isn't about religion and ritual primarily It's about believing the truth of who Jesus is, all he has done, does, 
and promises to do is a kingdom of truth that we belong to. The truth matters. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the one who matters. And of course, the implication of that is that truth matters in every part of life because we live as his people. We live uh, as as the, the, the subjects of his kingdom. And so we live out the truth uh, in everything that we do. We want to be Christ-like, do we not? This is the, the truth as well that we value above any other. It's not the, 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 the truth that outside of the Bible and the church isn't important, but this is the thing that is of first importance. Uh, and for those who don't believe, Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Uh, for those who believe as well, I suppose, what we need to do, we need to listen to Jesus. First of all, to be a Christian is someone who listens to Jesus, who listens to what he says, not just, you know, some Bibles have the words in red, the words of Jesus. Every word of the Bible is the words of God, it's the words of Jesus. We listen to what he says, it's to listen to his voice. And what does his voice say? Come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me, all you who are burdened. He's a voice that invites us. He's a voice that, that speaks truth. He tells us you are sinners, but you are loved more than you realize. To be on the side of truth is to listen to Jesus and to follow him. And, and, and we as Christians do need to remember that. So often we come to the Bible ourselves and maybe there's things that we, we would rather not see that maybe challenge us. Maybe there's things that, 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 that go against our sort of worldview, the things that, that, that we believe around, um, around different issues. Well, we listen to the Bible first and foremost. That is always our first port of call, more than anything else. The world will offer truth. It will tell us to speak our truth. It will tell us uh, lies and so on. It will tell us to look into ourselves to find the truth. It'll tell us that we don't need to listen to an old book. We don't need to listen to, to God. They, they claim to have the truth, grand claims of it. But only Jesus, only Jesus offers the truth that saves. Only Jesus is honest with us and tells us that we need him and that he has the truth, that he has forgiveness. As he's described at the start of uh, John's gospel, he's full of grace and truth. That is who Jesus is. That is who Pilate meets. That is who Pilate needs. And yet, he finishes with that question, as we said, what is truth? He shows he, he hasn't listened. He hasn't grasped what, what Jesus has said. Again, all he's interested in is, do I need to deal with this? Is this my job, really, to do this? His interest has been political. It's been his, his, his justice side and so he goes away, and, and, and as we, we read, he speaks to the Jews. He says, you know, he, he knows that Jesus has done nothing wrong, verse 38. And he says you can be released. But the crowds shout back. And that brings us to our second thing, Pilate and power or authority. Because truth doesn't always hold the power, at least in this world, does it? We kind of, we, we kind of know that. What we've seen through history is that propaganda often wins the day, irrespective of the truth. You know, the, the obvious example is that the Nazis made effective use of it to, to bend the, the people of Germany to their will, to their aims. But, but the honest truth is every country, every person probably does it. And even we do it on, on, a, on a very small level. We'll present 
our own uh, sort of, this is what I want you to see rather than the truth. We want the, the power uh, to be shown. You go on social media and that's what you see. Look how great my life is. Look how well off I am. And, and, and it's on a small level, but it's the same thing. What this becomes is not a question of the truth. We know that's important, but it becomes a question of power. Where does the power lie? Who has the power? Truth comes from God's kingdom, but does it hold the power? And Jesus' answer, as we'll see, is an unequivocal yes. Jesus has the power. God is more powerful. Although it doesn't appear like it. Because the story continues. Jesus is rejected and he's flogged. And this wasn't just a whip. This was bits of bone and metal across the back, lashes, drawing blood. And he's mocked as well. He's got the crown of thorns in uh, chapter 19, verse 2. He's clothed in a purple robe. They say, hail, king of the Jews. And they slap him in the face. It's a humiliation. There is no power here. He is powerless, at least uh, to all appearances. There is nothing that he can do, it would seem. And when he comes out from his beating, Pilate says, behold the man. And in a way, he speaks more truth than he realises. He means it in a mocking way. He's mocking Jesus and the Jews, saying, this is your king. You're just a man and you're so afraid of him, you want to put him to death. He's just weak and frail like any other. But it's the wonderful truth. Behold the man. Here is the man. That Jesus is God become man. That he is, uh, as John chapter 1 says, the word become flesh. He's the son of God. He is the man there to take punishment for all our sins. Pilate doesn't realize it, but he's proclaiming one of the great truths of the gospel. That God became man and lived amongst us and died for us. Behold the man. Here he is. Here is Jesus. Here is the power for you. For your forgiveness. That is him right there. Of course the Jews are blind. They call more and more for Jesus' death. They say he claimed to be the son of God. So he deserves it. He did claim to be the son of God. And Pilate is afraid at this. Um, as we read. Um, uh, verse, uh, chapter 19 verse 8. Uh, and this was because probably. Romans were superstitious. And he thought this was maybe some sort of divine man. Who was going to kind of punish him uh, if, if he did something if only he realized how, how close he was and yet how wrong at the same time and so he asks Jesus where he's from but Jesus gives no answer uh, and Isaiah 53 again hundreds and hundreds of years before just like the psalm that we sung talks about uh, how he uh, as a sheep before his shears is silent so he opened not his mouth and it's talking about Jesus and this is what Jesus does here He's before his shears. He's before the one who's going to execute him. And he doesn't open his mouth at this point because he was here to die for us. And, and Pilate's exasperated, you know, at verse 10. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or crucify you? And so you see, Pilate thinks he's got the power. Pilate thinks that he's in control. He's like, I've got the power to free you or to crucify you. He doesn't realize who he's talking to. He just sees the man not the man, he just sees a weak, beaten, bloodied human being there before him. And he's the governor. He's the one representing the greatest empire the world has ever seen. And so he thinks he's got the power. And the Jewish authorities, he must have thought it was great. They've come crawling to him, trying to get a death sentence passed. He knows he's in control. 
he knows that he has life and death in his hands. But as is often the case with the gospel, this is one of the things of the Bible, the weak is far more powerful than what appears strong, than what appears to have all the authority. So often in the Bible it is the weak that are made strong. It is, as Paul says, strength made perfect in weakness. Uh, We see this in in life, you know, um, we get the idea that we kind of love an underdog really you know remember when Leicester won the Premier League and and we love that kind of thing we love when the weak become the strong Uh, and so we get the idea of what's going on here Jesus both is and isn't the underdog to all appearances he is weak he is powerless he is broken he is at the mercy of Pilate and Pilate thinks this but Jesus shows his own power and authority by calmly informing Pilate that you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And really, that's, that's staggering when you stop and think about it. Jesus is saying all that is happening is because God had planned it. All that is going on, all the power that is there is really God's. And Jesus is exactly where he wants to be. It doesn't excuse Pilate. Pilate decided to do these things. The chief priest is probably the one with the greater sin. He decided to do these things and yet God is in control. Kind of like we said a few weeks ago looking at the blind man, you meant it for evil but God meant it for good as uh, Joseph tells his brothers uh, in, in Genesis. Jesus is still in control. Even at this moment the man beaten, bloodied, weak, frail, humiliated. He's in control, not Pilate, because he was there to rescue his people. He was there doing exactly what he wanted to do, exactly what he was born to do. He was dying for his own. He had the power and authority, and what he did, he used it to be humiliated and to die so that we could be forgiven and saved. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus does for us. This is the real power. This is the power that saves. The power that does something that no one else can do. The power that nothing else in this world can do. It appears so powerful, the world. It seems so plausible. Uh, And even if we don't really believe all the world's claims, we can still be blinded or discouraged by its power. But see the weakness of Jesus here and see that power is always there because he always remains powerful. The world's power is tempting, though we, we can be tempted to want a piece of it. We, we sell our souls so that we can advance and be popular in this world. So many have given up the truth of the Bible, uh, even if they, they still go to a church, because it fits in with the world better. Forgetting where the true power lies. Not in this world, not in popularity, not in the crowd shouting our names positively, unlike they're doing for Jesus. But the power lies in the weakness of Jesus on trial and, of course, on the cross. That is where real power is, the power to save and forgive. That is where truth is in Jesus himself. And honestly, we can feel discouraged sometimes as we see the power of the world and we feel so small, especially perhaps in our own country, or as we see others persecuted for their faith. But look at Jesus here. No one has ever perhaps been made smaller, coming from heaven down to earth, down to this beating and eventual crucifixion. And yet in all that weakness and oppression, 
He was in control and he did it for us so that we could have life, so that we could live in his strength, so that we could be with him forever. As Paul says again, when I am weak, then I am strong. Strength is made perfect in weakness because the power of God is with us. And we don't need to be afraid of being weak in the world's eyes. We are weak in the world's eyes. But in God's eyes, we are strong, not because of us but because we have trusted in Jesus, the one who was weak for us, because we have his power with us, not because we rely on ourselves, not because we have anything in ourselves, but because he is there. We like to be in control. We like to feel powerful. That's human nature. But part of being a Christian was relinquishing that control. It's saying, I don't need to be in control. I don't need to have the power. That I need Jesus, that I need something else. That is part of being Christian and knowing that in that we have God's power as well. Sadly, Pilate, all he can see is his own power and authority and he decides to go with that. He tries to release Jesus, yes, by his own power because he knows he's innocent. But Jesus knew what he was doing and the crowds keep crying out for Jesus's death. And that brings us to our last thing and very briefly, Pilate and the crowds. One of the great things that they teach you at school, great lengths, is don't give in to peer pressure. And it's absolutely right. It's a very good lesson to learn. But it's a difficult one, I think, no matter how old we are. And Pilate had clearly never had these lessons because as soon as the crowds cry for Jesus to die again, they make this claim, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And it's at this point that Pilate gives in. And lets Jesus be crucified. He hands them over. He gives the Jews their own way. The loudest, the most popular voices, that's what prevails on the day. <clears throat> and that's often what it comes down to. Who can shout the loudest? Who can make the loudest argument? And it does sound like a plausible argument. If Jesus lives, it endangers Caesar's power. And Pilate's supposed to represent Caesar. What's he going to do? And it kind of brings these first two points together as well, doesn't it? Truth and power and popularity, all these things together. And Pilate goes with the crowds. He listens to the loudest voices, and that is it. That's it over. He listens to the majority. And so Pilate really is a weak man. He goes with the crowd because it's the easiest thing to do. And it seems obvious to us looking at him, but really it's what everyone does. And most people anyway, to become a Christian, to be a Christian, is to go against the mainstream, to go against the crowd, against the current. It's against what people think. It's against what people say. And as much as people claim to be free thinkers, to be independent, to be living their truth, what everyone really wants is just to fit in. Being a Christian means we are going to be at odds with society in so many ways. They'll say, you can't really believe that. You can't really say that. But we do. Because we know it's the truth. Because we know it's where the true power lies. Because we know that Jesus has gone through this. That he has been weak. So that he could die for us. We follow him. Because that's where truth is found. Where Jesus is. And so the question is, who will we follow? Who will I follow? Who will you follow? Even Christians are susceptible to get distracted. We must come back to Jesus himself and his word always. 
See, Pilate, he had so much opportunity to follow Jesus. So it makes it so sad. But he rejected it for his power, for his position as governor, for his popularity as a governor. He knew Jesus was innocent. It's so obvious that he knew that. And yet still, he puts him to death. Why? Because it was the easy way. Because it was the way of least resistance. Because it was the way that made his life here um, as simple, as comfortable as possible. Being a Christian is following Jesus. It's following truth. You can see here it's not always an easy thing. But we have Jesus with us. We have his power. And he will never leave us. And he will always welcome us, always accept us, even as the world doesn't.